Welcome to the Ars Technicast, where Ars Technica writers and editors discuss the latest in the worlds of science, computing, technology, and everything else in between. During each episode, we dig deep into some of the issues we're writing about at ArsTechnica.com. We also talk about some of the stuff we're doing when we're not circling around the Ars orbiting headquarters. I am your co-host, social editor Cesar Torres. And I'm your co-host, Casey Johnston. And we've got a great visitor back in the virtual studio again. Gaming editor Kyle Orland is here. Happy to be here. Did you put in new curtains in the virtual studio? It's uh, something about it. It looks nice. Do you like them? Yeah. That we, we, got, we got orange just to sort of round out the branding of the virtual yeah. studio. Yeah, they add, they add a little something. I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but it's, yeah. it's more homey, I guess. We were, we were shooting for the ones patterned with the R's logo, but then it just sort of uh, – it was too expensive, so we figured just solid orange. You know, virtual studios can sometimes seem cold and, and virtual, I guess, but this, this one feels different. I'm glad you're comfortable. Just wait till you check out the bathroom. We've got orange polka dots on the Oh, bathroom. man. Can't wait. <laughs> just ties the room together. So, hey, you guys. Welcome, uh, listeners, back to the show. We've got a big gaming episode uh, this time around, and that's why Kyle is here. Uh, he's been traveling around the globe, and he's got adventures that he's going to tell us about. And we've got a preview of what's to come in the holiday season. But first and foremost, we've got some um, big news that just uh, was announced this week. Yeah, Valve is uh, getting into the hardware game uh, big time after talking about it for what seems like forever. I think it was two years ago, the first time we heard the first rumblings that uh, some sort of Steam box would be coming out. Now it's finally uh, becoming official. So, yeah, on Monday they announced uh, the existence of uh, Steam OS, which is a uh, Linux-based uh, shard, I guess, that is designed mainly to run uh, Steam games. And it's a pretty big step for them, a pretty big uh, move away from the Windows environment that has you know dominated PC gaming for decades now. And they're, they're really trying to get away from that uh, Gabe Newell from Valve has called Windows 8 a catastrophe for uh, gamers, and I'm not sure if he means that for the game specifically or for his uh, business model of uh, Steam uh, more, but uh, either way, they're really trying to uh, get out of that stranglehold. Well, how does it affect, how does, how does Windows 8 affect the, the business model of Steam? So right now, not at all. I mean, when you have Windows 8, you can just click the Steam button and it goes into desktop mode and you run Steam and you can play all the games that run on Windows. There's uh, nothing to it. But I think they're worried about the direction it was heading. Um, you know, Windows 8 comes with its own app store uh, that's a little bit like uh, what iOS and Android have been doing. And the Microsoft obviously wants that to be the main way that uh, people get Windows 8 software. And Windows software in general going forward, uh, pretty much because they take a 30% cut of everything sold there. Uh, taking a 30% cut of things that get sold, that's kind of Valve's business as far as Steam goes. So I think they kind of see the writing on the wall. You know, maybe with a future update or maybe with Windows 9, they're not gonna, they might not allow competing uh, marketplaces. Similarly to, you know, iOS wouldn't allow another app store on. Uh, the iPhone, 
Windows 8, it's kind of in a transition period. But I think Valve is worried about uh, the writing on the wall, so they're they're trying to kind of subvert all this with uh, their own OS. But given that they've been talking, or I mean, hard to know how long they've actually been talking about it, but this has been rumored for now two years. It seems like Windows 8, in that light, is sort of a conven- more a convenient excuse than it is. Uh, actually a practical concern or maybe that just sort of like pushed them over the edge like i'm i wonder how legitimate of a of a motivator that's always been maybe it's uh (coughs) sorry (coughs) wrong pipe (laughs) start that over uh that might be the case but um steam os is is not just a way to get away from windows 8 though it's also a play for the living room uh, and that's what it's really focused on. They want this OS to be installed on devices that are going to be hooked up uh, to your TV. Uh, so the Linux part might actually be kind of invisible there, and it'll just run Steam's big picture mode, which has been around for a while. It's designed for uh, a living room TV to be operated with a, a handheld controller from a few feet away on a on a 40-inch big screen. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of stuff going on here. It's It's... A play to get people away from Windows and into Linux. It's a play to get people away from the desk and into the living room. Uh, it's a play to get more hardware manufacturers to make PC gaming focused boxes that uh, can play on TVs and aren't just, uh, you know, that are seen more like consoles in the market than PCs. Because uh, one of the things that's kind of limited PC gaming. I think, is that people feel like it's only for uh, real tech heads, you know. It's uh, the kind of thing, your PC is what you use for work, it's what uh, you do surf the web on, uh, and people know they can game on PCs, but there's a lot of things associated with drivers, with hardware configurations, with all of that, that uh, make it hard to get into a little bit. So they want kind of more of a console form factor, uh, a whole OS that's just dedicated to gaming, that makes it really smooth and easy to get PC games and get the benefits of those, like being able to upgrade your hardware, swapping out uh, hard drives. Uh, the openness of a PC with the ease of a console is probably the end goal for Valve. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it, it's, uh, it seems like it's um, blurring the lines a little bit here with uh, the whole bringing, bringing the PC into the living room. Uh, I don't really understand how that's not, Made, just making it into a console like it's uh, how how are they going to draw that line that oh it's still pc gaming and it's but it's just a box that's probably going to end up looking a lot like the other consoles but it's not a console like how are they going to draw that line in the sand right um i think the the boxes that they're going to release for the living room and they hinted at those a little bit there was an announcement today that they will be making hardware but they had pretty much no details about it um those living room boxes, the games that work on those will also work on any PC running SteamOS. So you could uh, take that same game and download it uh, to the uh, office desktop computer as long as you have uh, SteamOS on it. Uh, there'll also be, you know, uh, Steam wants it to be easily portable uh, to make games from Windows to SteamOS. So there might be a, a Windows version there as well. Uh, so... I don't know where so, I was going with this. <laughs> um, so then I guess my question is, um, if you say you already have a super, I mean, I'm, I know they're, they're going to have 
there's two, sort of two two ways you can go about playing a game via a Steam box. It's one is uh, the game the game is local and it's uh, played directly off of the Steam box, and the other is that if it's not a Linux compatible, was it Linux Linux compatible or just co- or uh, uh, controller compatible? Was that the yeah or, or Steam OS compatible? Okay, so, so if, yeah. if it's not, it can be streamed to the Steam box. From, yes, from another PC. Yeah, so what they've said is that when SteamOS launches, there will be a few hundred uh, compatible games directly locally. But for the, uh, I think, 3,000 uh, applications that are on Steam, you'll be able to stream all of them uh, to your living room TV through a Steam box. Uh, and they will be running locally on a Windows-based PC or a Mac-based uh, computer. And uh, they will show up on your TV uh streaming the inputs and the video and audio through your in-home router. Uh, other people have done this. The NVIDIA Shield does something similar. Uh, the PlayStation Vita TV and the, the Vita itself can stream from uh, PlayStation 3 and soon PlayStation 4. And it works pretty well uh, within a home environment. If you have a decent router, you can get, I think, 100 millisecond uh, reaction times, which, uh, you know, is it's noticeable, uh, compared to playing something locally, but it's definitely playable. So that's kind of a stopgap solution, I feel. They're, they want people to get uh, Steam boxes into their living room and be able to play everything they're used to on their PC. But the end game, I think, is to convince game makers to port all their games over to uh, native SteamOS compatibility once they've shown there's an actual market for this hardware. And you know, so then they might release a game as a Windows version and a SteamOS version, and then there will be uh, enough content on there to actually sustain the hardware. This seems like a sort of... Uh, the question now in my mind is why... Like, if if I'm a PC gamer, I already have a very capable PC. I, I feel like what... I mean, barring barring playing games where uh, the you know 100 millisecond ping time is just too long, like my I feel like my strategy would be to get some sort of super cheap like Raspberry Pi type of uh, device, put SteamOS on it, and then just stream all of my games rather than trying to run them directly off of a um, putting putting something that's PC like in my living room. I feel like the temptation to stream is going to be big. Yeah, and I think Valve sees that as a very uh, viable option. You know, if you're okay. already a PC gamer who wants to just move over to uh, the living room TV, there will probably be $100 uh, quote-unquote Steam boxes <laughs> that, uh, you know, just do the streaming and, you know, maybe you can play like Minesweeper-level games on them, but uh, they're not going to be the kind of things you can do on your on your PC gaming rig. Uh, What's going to be for other people who may have not gotten into PC gaming yet, who might be console gamers, there are going to be higher-end uh, models. There might be, you know, a $500 uh, SteamOS box that uh, is comparable to uh, PlayStation 4 or an Xbox One in uh, hardware strength, I guess. But it can play all the games that are designed for PCs. You can play indie games. You can play uh, things that uh, don't have to go through Microsoft and Sony. And then... You could even go higher. You could there could be thousand dollar, two thousand dollar, three thousand dollar boxes running SteamOS, uh, designed for your living room uh, that can you know uh, blow the current generation of consoles out of the water hardware wise, and you know in two or three years, P- Xbox One, PlayStation Four, they look great now. They're going to start looking 
a little longer in the tooth, whereas, you know, a $500 box running SteamOS or whatever price the consoles will be at that, $400, for that price, you could probably get hardware that will actually be better than the consoles that were locked in a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you can also still play PC games, uh, hopefully, that will be native at that point to uh, SteamOS. Well, I I feel like at this point it's starting to sound like a little bit of a support nightmare. Like uh, (laughs) if you have, you know, Steam has the operating system, they have, you know, uh, umpteen hardware partners. It's like, I mean... I feel like Steam Steam users are tend tend to be of like the more savvy uh, type, but at the same time, um, it just seems like there there become a lot of there becomes a lot of sources for various problems that they could encounter, and I don't yeah know uh, how well Steam is equipped for dealing with that kind of thing. Well, you know, welcome to the world of PC <laughs> gaming. That's uh, yeah. That's kind of always been the problem. It's, there's there's going to be no one Steam box configuration, so you're going to have all sorts of different types of graphic cards, uh, amounts of RAM, things that are all standardized in a console, and that developers know what they're targeting uh, on Steam bo- on Steam boxes, Steam OS on uh, just like on PCs. It, they're going to have to uh, take into account a wide array of uh, use cases and uh, different support problems. Uh, Valve does have some experience with this. I mean, they've uh, built steam into what it's become with the de facto mm-hmm. standard for digital distribution for the last uh, nine years and it does automatic updates it does um uh specific it does help with uh, drivers and such it uh handles your friends list and they have a, a very big support architecture for all of that too so i don't think they're going to be caught totally flat-footed there but uh, you're right there are, it's not uh while it will be competing with consoles in a way it's much more complex and uh, unwieldy than uh, the just uh, releasing a standard console. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually at the perfect point in which, as a company, it would be acquired or ready to be acquired by somebody else because the the potential is big. I think the nightmares of the fan the fan base kind of being upset about it changing and moving away from the the, the PC rig um, would be there, but. You know, having this type of distribution, that's kind of what's allowing other companies that started out like Netflix and Amazon win. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, somebody's out there trying to acquire these guys. Yeah. Netflix is a good example. You know, they started off, it was just on PCs. You could you could stream things. And then they kind of opened up uh, the standard. They didn't release an OS or anything, but they... Uh, Move their apps to game consoles and then uh, to you know Roku boxes and Apple TVs. So it's it was kind of hardware independent, but the Netflix experience was roughly the same. And I think that's what Steam is kind of going for with uh, its hardware strategy now. They're releasing a general standard OS that uh, you can put on any device, and it, you're saying uh, the OS will run these games, and it's up to you guys, hardware makers, to uh, figure out. Uh, price points and uh, uh, hardware levels for the audience. Uh, I just I, I think it's crazy that um, Steam is pursuing this, and it seems it seems to me like and I like I, I guess the company's never done it before, so I can't really say definitively that it's untenable. But it seems untenable given like I, I just feel like systems where um, companies give 
other co- companies give other companies like when they when they're two different pieces of a puzzle when one gives another like here is this like uh piece of a whole and you know do whatever you want with it to like fill out the rest of the whole that's that almost always ends in not necessarily disaster but just sort of like half baked products that most people can't use hundred <laughs> Oh, sorry. I had, <laughs> had a little Android caught in my throat there. But Aww. but really, I do think that is the model that uh, Valve is going for here. Kind of, uh, they give away the operating system and then people using it uh, will uh, have to buy Valve, will then buy Valve products uh, through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be interesting uh, since they're trying to compete with consoles in a way, but the console business model is, is very different. They uh, sell the hardware kind of at cost or at a loss even because they're taking a cut of all the software. Uh, Valve said it's going to be involved in some of the hardware here, but there are also going to be other hardware makers that can just put SteamOS on uh, whatever box uh, they're creating and call it a Steam box. But, uh, you know, without that subsidizing effect, since they're not going to be taking in any money from the software sales side, I think you're going to see much higher hardware prices uh, compar- comparable to uh, or when compared to the consoles. So it's going to be like PC gaming prices for your living room PC console. It's uh, kind of a new way of thinking about things. And yeah, we're, we're going to have to see how it works. We're going to need some more details before we can uh, really make final determinations on it. But it's going to be, it's going to be weird. Yeah, they also have the, a good amount of buy-in given the, you know, the, they already have a huge, very loyal customer base. And I think that's, that's like, I could I could definitely see myself buying some small thing to stream games at the very mm-hmm. least. So that's that's something I don't I don't think I would buy a separate console just to be able to run games directly. But I'm I'm not um, as living room oriented as probably some people are or like people with families or whatever so um right you know yeah. i i'm just not i may i may not be the usage profile for a living room steam box right and you know i think the pc has kind of been held back because it's it's not in the living room it's uh meant for mainly uh single player games or online games but not really for games where you're all gathered around uh, a mon a single monitor Really, those get, those things are possible, but they don't really come out much on PC, and it's not a big focus because uh, of where the PC is in most people's house, and because of the input method. You know, not you know, four people with a keyboard and mouse, it's really unwieldy to get um, local co-op gaming. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's other advantages to the living room as well, obviously. But I think trying to move the PC to the living room is is a uh, valid thing to want uh, for Valve. And I also think it's it's very different going for the console space rather than just say releasing their own uh, piece gaming PC uh, for a general as a general PC. They're not uh, being they're not trying to become Alienware and say oh you know this is the ultra cool Valve branded PC. No, they're going for uh, a whole new market that's uh, you know kind of secondary to. A PC. You still you're still going to have uh, Steam on your Windows-based PCs for you know uh, general productivity and such. But these are f- boxes focused solely on gaming and uh, for your living room TV. Mm-hmm. I could also see them like um, 
I could I could see this as sort of a more quote unquote vanilla console compared to like I feel that uh, PlayStation and Xbox are sort of throwing in a lot of extra things like a lot of I mean I know I know Steam has uh, social features to a certain extent you have friends and you have chat and all that and co op gaming and all of that stuff but. Um, I feel like PlayStation and Xbox are stacking a lot more on top of that. And Xbox has its like TV in like pass through thing. And uh, I just I, I wonder if people will say I don't need any of that. I just want to be able to play games and sort of go go for the, the Steam boxes, the more pared down gaming focused experience. Like if you want gaming in your living room, this is a way to do it. And it's not, you, you, you know, if you're not somebody who needs all of this other integration. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you put it that way because, you know, even 10 years ago, I'd say PCs and consoles were really far apart. Consoles were, you know, the focused on game playing boxes and PCs were the all-purpose can do anything. And they're kind of converging now. Uh, the consoles over the years have added you know, Netflix and, and Twitter and Facebook and uh, uh, Skype and all sorts of things, uh, video chats and things to make it more like a PC for your living room. And PCs now, through this uh, SteamOS initiative, uh, most noticeably, are trying to dumb it down, say, uh, oh, yes, you can do anything, but we're, we're focusing it a little more to make it a little more streamlined, a little more uh, focused on gaming and easier to put on your living room TV. So in the battle for that same spot, they're kind of coming at the same point from different directions, I feel. Mm-hmm. I could almost see this being a sort of like a like a Chromecast for games. And even if it were to be able to if even if it just had like a general browser tab streaming feature, I think that that could go a long way to being like pretty much everything I would need and something I would want to put in a living room. Yeah, I think um, someone's going someone's definitely going to release that, whether it's Valve is directly involved or whether it's someone else just putting Steam OS on a device. Um I think Chromecast is thirty five dollars. That that sounds right. a little low. I think Maybe seventy-five to a hundred dollars. You could do the input uh, and output and uh, everything you need. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I'm just taking a look at the at your article one more time. Um, okay. Do you know if um the beta testing thing? Uh, do you know if there are any press units for that? Like, are you going to be able to get in on it yourself or? Uh, I have no idea. Actually, it's uh, they said three hundred. Uh, beta testers will be getting it and uh strangely enough for a beta test they're going to be uh able to comment on it publicly so if they're mm-hmm. the only ones who have access to this um as uh, then the press is going to be all over every statement uh, they make i think if if yeah. they don't have their own access that's yeah, it you're gonna it need seem- a ringer if you don't get your own <laughs> that said it seems like um when they when they release these prototypes they're also going to be uh releasing the steam os itself for people to download and uh, even compile themselves as open mm-hmm. source, uh, or it, if not at the same time, then close to the same time. So uh, what anyone else could do, any member of the press or the public, could just uh, make take their own box and uh, put SteamOS on it and uh, test it out uh, with various configurations and uh, see how it works. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, do you happen to know what the... Uh I mean, there there were a trio of announcements happening. We've heard mm. two of them. Uh, I don't know when the third is supposed to happen. Friday. Okay, so in in podcast listener time, it's already happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
it seems like the the next ostensible announcement is some sort of input that is likely a controller. Yes. Uh, today they said, stay tuned, though we'll have more to say very soon on the topic of input. So uh, what a few people have pointed out is kind of, uh, for big picture mode, right, right now, the de facto standard for people is the Xbox 360 controller, uh, either the USB wired version or um, you can get a dongle to make the wireless version work. That's kind of what people have settled on uh, for gamepad-based uh, PC gaming, and that's... Uh, it's a little bit of an image issue if that's the main control. The main controller for SteamOS is made by Microsoft, so I think they're going to release their own uh, idea for a controller. Say this is what uh, we think should be in a controller, but uh, don't worry, you can still use whatever controller you want. You know, it's uh, still a PC; it will accept any USB inputs. But this is what we have in mind when uh, people are going to be using SteamOS boxes. So. Look towards this uh, for your hardware design. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to imagine this not being just a clone of a 360 controller. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll put on the the touchpad that uh, the PS4 has, or maybe it'll have some crazy uh, motion sensing thing, That's which seems point. to be uh, you know where everyone is going. Maybe it will uh, include a coffee maker, so you don't have to get <laughs> up and. Uh, Go to coffee or, you know, a cheese grater. So you're grating cheese while you play. It's, I think uh, a cheese grater is the platonic ideal of a controller. Every every piece of hardware should have a cheese grater. <laughs> I think, And a built-in toaster. I think uh, Android phones have really missed out on that. that that's the key differentiator from iPhone. Which... I, want, I want a case for Android phones that is gold and a cheese grater. Kickstarter. Here we Someone come. make that happen. Oh my! Why, oh, why? I would buy into that Kickstarter project. Be, so hard. be the change you want to see in the world, Casey. That's a good point. I could let's, definitely. Let's... I could. I could make a reasonable mock-up of this product in my very own home. I think. Let's do this. <laughs> the Ars Technica cheese grater slash iPhone case, and make or it, Android phone case, and make it three D printable too. Because that's <laughs> kind of the trend, right? Open source. Open source. Whatever. Whatever. What's the word? Uh grade uh gauge whatever gauge of cheese you happen to need you can you can uh customize your cheese grater case what you see is what you grate this is this has gone down such a path okay oh, you guys it's like swirling into the green <laughs> uh so kyle yes. uh you are a little bit jet lagged a little bit yeah and uh we we saw a bunch of your coverage from uh japan so uh, tell us about your trip yeah, so this was my first ever uh, Tokyo game show, uh, believe it or not. My first time in Japan ever, uh, actually. And I went this year because this was going to be the last major show uh, before the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4 hit. So I was expecting, oh, maybe some last-minute announcements or uh, you know, new games that uh, haven't been shown before. Or at the very least, uh, they would be uh, Microsoft and Sony's final time to really make a push for uh, their consoles and why their uh, console is the better value proposition over the other. Uh, I didn't really get much of that. It was kind of a low-key show as far as uh, announcements and the console wars and uh, everything like that went. Uh, Sony was there, of course. They had a huge booth uh, that was packed to the gills. Uh, Microsoft was also there, which was uh, a change from last year. They kind of skipped out on the Tokyo Game Show in uh, 2012, probably because the Xbox 360 is, is a non-entity in Japan. 
they're really trying to make a push for the Xbox One to be bigger in Japan. And they were getting some attention. Uh, games like uh, Crimson Dragon, which is from uh, the makers of Panzer Dragoon, uh, which is big in Japan, that got very good lines. Uh, Titanfall had a lot of interest. But uh, the Microsoft booth in general was a lot emptier than the Sony booth, which kind of reflects uh, both companies' stature in the console market uh, as far as Japan is concerned. Now, uh, you were there for how many days? Uh, I was in the country for six days, if you don't count the like 36 hours I spent in airplanes. Uh, now, I, yeah, it takes forever to get there. I, I myself lived there for about a year in Osaka, right. and uh, the... The nature of video game culture in Japan is so different, and uh, you showed me some of you shot some clips of you know what people do over there. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between uh, gaming fans uh, in over here versus uh, Japan? So I can give you my impressions based on on what I saw as as a, a visitor. I didn't live there uh, as you did, but uh, just based on what was in the show floor. Um, there were a few things that struck me. One was uh, mobile phones. Uh, you know, mobile gaming is not nece- not really a small thing here, but in Japan, it's absolutely insanely huge. Uh, I'm pretty sure more people are, are playing on mobile phones uh, there than uh, are playing here, as at least as far as a ratio of the population. Uh, a lot of this probably has to do with you know people taking trains into work, and uh, you know, there's also a little bit of a stigma about. Uh, you know, owning a console uh, that you need to play on your TV. Uh, so uh, mobile phones and portables are, are seen as an acceptable way to, you know, waste a little bit of time when you're commuting or uh, to socialize with friends over. And, uh, you know, there was this booth for uh, the makers of uh, a game called Puzzle and Dragons. The company is called Gung Ho, which is basically a non-entity in the West. But uh, in Japan, it's uh, one of the biggest things ever. It's like... Uh, uh, Angry Birds level success, and uh, there was a huge hundreds of people person line to play the 3DS version of of this game, which is just you know a match three puzzler matched with uh, RPG uh, type battles. Uh, so there there are games like this in America, like Puzzle Quest that that came out, and they're kind of you know just a, a niche kind of throwaway game. And in, in, but in Japan, this is you know millions and millions of sales and, uh, you know, a major force that gets uh, uh, hundreds of square feet of boot space. So when you talk about a stigma of consoles, is that, I mean, I guess you could say there's also a stigma here, sort of. Is it similar or is it worse? Or Like, are people there, like, are you really an outcast if you happen to have a console kind of thing? Uh. I I don't know how far that goes. I'm I'm just getting this based on conversations with uh, some people uh I met that uh, actually live in Japan. These are mm-hmm. these are actually uh, expatriates that have have moved to Japan. So, you know, I don't have any statistics. I don't even have any uh direct experience with that. But mm-hmm. um my 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 point more was that uh mobile phone mobile phone gaming is seen as kind of universal whereas console gaming is still uh, sort of the niche uh, that it is here, and yeah. you're you're seeing, and I think you're seeing the U.S. kind of go towards this uh, as well. I mean, you've seen even like uh, a game like Angry Birds, you know, where uh, who do you know that hasn't played Angry Birds at this point, or even uh, Candy I think, Crush? Saga. I think the new, oh yeah, I was going to say Candy Crush is the new like 
exactly thing that and, everyone's playing right and people well you know i'll at, at a dinner party you someone will just bring that up and they'll say oh yeah i don't really play games but candy crush saga is great you know, they don't <laughs> consider that there there's video games which is you know only for you know nerds who spend five hundred dollars on a console and take up their tv and spend hundreds of hours on grand theft auto and then there's candy crush saga which oh I, i'll bring that up everyone plays that and it's you know acceptable so mm-hmm. i think uh both societies are kind of going in that direction, but in Japan, they've been there uh, for a while, I feel, and it's really uh, ingrained. Uh, you, you look at the sales of uh, portable gaming systems and the sales of uh, mobile phone games there, and uh, compared to the numbers of people in the country, it's Japan has just totally uh, gone wild for, for mobile gaming. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's unique about uh, their perception of gaming has a lot to do with the phones themselves. Mm. And I think it's worth noting this because last week or in the last episode of the Technicast, we talked about the iPhone. And we all know it's sort of a status symbol and lots of consumers have it because they have such global reach. But uh, in Japan, you know, there's a wider variety of different kinds of phones you can get. And this has been the case for about a decade because I, when I lived there, that was 2001. But even then, um, you know, your status and your lifestyle and expressing your personality had a lot to do with the phone that you chose down to like the very color and the shape. Mm -hmm. And it it even cut across uh, gender lines. So it wasn't just girls choosing certain colors. I mean, men wanted to have that as as an accessory. And then on top of it. Uh, because you choose your phone and then you choose your provider, the options of gaming that you could have on there at the time when I was there were bigger. There were just a lot of more uh, games that you could just play locally or online. So I think it's really interesting that way because their their culture around the devices uh, I think has more has less loyalty to a single platform and more to sort of what fits an individual and then on top of that um then when you look at just how they live you know there's less space so teenagers may not have a home computer in the house the way that americans do or westerners and but they will have a really amazing cell phone and that's a way to socialize and play games so even the kinds of games that they like tend to be really different than ours they have many more social components uh things like Animal Crossing, you know, would be a huge hit over there because people just kind of love socializing online that way. There was there was Animal Crossing merchandise absolutely everywhere uh, in Japan, and uh, you know, people I was street passing with were playing that and um, Monster Hunter, which you know, in in the West's kind of uh, pretty niche, but in Japan, you know, everyone is playing that on on their uh, train rides. Um, getting back to the phones that uh, you mentioned, I saw. A lot of people with iPhones and um, general Android uh, slates, but I was surprised at how many flip phones uh, there were in Japan. And these were not, you know, like uh, the old-fashioned flip phones. These were, uh, you know, very large flip phones with big screens on the top. Uh, I think I saw some of them had touch screens on the top, so you could you'd open up the phone and hold it at the bottom, and then you know, kind of scroll through the top. Um, I saw ones that you could actually take out the top and use that as its own little uh, Android-style smartphone, but you'd also have the the keys and you could, you know, hold it around uh, your face uh, as a flip phone. And you could also, uh, on the top section, you could kind of turn it 
so that you'd hold it upright, but it would also get you'd get the widescreen aspect ratio if you wanted to watch a video or something. So yeah, the variety of phones out there they are uh, way ahead of us. Wow, that's so that's so strange to me. I feel like yeah, I feel like now we're due a piece on like the the sort of breakdown of hand, like handset styles in different countries because like I never would have guessed that. I don't know if it's just a Japanese thing or I I don't recall seeing this type of variety uh, when I've traveled around Europe, for instance. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, the cell phones of Japan, I would, I'd like to learn more about them because I, all I got was, you know, uh, kind of spying on them from five feet away. It's not, it kind of sounds like they're hanging on to buttons a little bit more than we might be here. Some of them. Like I said, uh, iPhones were not um, unheard of and there were mm-hmm. a lot of there were a lot of buttonless um, uh touchscreen phones there as well, even on Android. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to put in that request, Casey. We should do a piece <laughs> on that because it's, it's cool. I mean, they just have stuff. They have a pride in their own uh, proprietary phones over there that uh, doesn't quite exist here. We don't think of the uh, iPhone necessarily as like, this is an American product. We know it is, but we don't talk about it that way. Mm-hmm. But over there, some of those models, I remember that too. They would say, oh no, we're we're very proud of these because they're they're Japanese and they, they come in red and blue and pink. And, um, you know, it's, it is sort of a matter of pride uh, because they also are, you know, if you look at the interfaces, they're, you can toggle occasionally to English or maybe Italian, but they're all in Japanese. So they're really kind of, um, you can't penetrate that Unless yeah. you are very well versed in Japanese, and it's mm. it's interesting, they're they're fascinating to to use and play with. Yeah, mm. and uh, you know, of course, the other big difference about uh, gaming culture in Japan this was this I experienced mainly mainly outside of the show, but uh, arcade culture is still a huge part of Japan. Uh, I went to uh, Akihabara the, my first day there while I was still adjusting uh, to the jet lag, and uh, the arcades there are you know seven story. Uh, buildings that are just um, meccas of uh, games, old and new. Uh, the kind of new games that you know you haven't seen in America in the last you know ten, twenty years. Even uh, you'd be lucky to get you know just a new light gun shooter. Where uh, here they've got these these pods that you get into with hundred eighty degree wraparound screen and, and dual joystick controls for the mechs, and you've got pedals there and they're online connected i was playing people from all around japan and they've got a headset that you could put on and they've got these cards for tracking your statistics and you could beam your statistics right to your phone and track games and they have these control consoles so you can watch what people in the other pods are doing uh even if you can't get in your own pod it's it's what the arcade industry in america would be like at this point i think if it hadn't just kind of stopped and seeing that jump, you know, in in one second, basically, I was used to arcades from 15 years ago, and then I came to Japan, and whoa, this is what's been happening. It was it was incredible to see. That's so weird. That's insane. Yeah, they've got whole floors devoted to uh, rhythm games, which are still huge over there. You know, <laughs> games where you're tapping 16 different uh, individual touch screens, uh, each one of which uh, could have a little uh, animation for telling you when to tap it. Uh, they have uh, drumming games. They have uh, like uh, turntable style games that are constantly evolving. Touchscreen rhythm games where you're bouncing the notes back and forth to other people. Uh, there was a game that had a joystick and kind of a mouse for controlling 
uh, you know, your mouse look on the Mac. Uh, there was a game where you could plug in uh, PlayStation 2 controllers to uh, control a soccer game because I guess if you're used to a PlayStation 2 controller, that's uh, what you want in the arcades too. Uh, there are games where there's there's a horse racing simulation with a one big screen up front and then everyone at their 16 little seats gets their own touch screen where they can train where they can wow. train the horses and they can place their bets and they can watch the progress of how their horse is, is doing it's uh just wow. the 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 scale of what is going on in arcades is just unimaginable to to someone who sees the state of of a current uh, American arcade which is a bunch of, of shooters and driving games and so these are these are like successful enterprises still in Japan. Like there are a lot of people there. Are they like Every, ma- are they mainstream or are they still like subculture kind of thing? I don't know if they're quite mainstream, but they're definitely less subculture than uh, they would be considered in America. It's not hmm. like uh, fam. It's not like only family fun centers where you have to be uh, mm-hmm. where you'd have to go. Everyone I went to was uh, packed with people, especially at night and uh, on the weekends. Uh, when I went in and and they're kind of uh, segregated by floors. It's interesting. Like there'll be one floor at the bottom of crane games, which uh, is what tried to attract people in off the street. You see the the the, the toys and you come in and, and then if you go into the basement, there'll be like a super smoky area with just the hardcore fighting games and people really intensely uh, training for uh, like pro level. And then uh, you go up to the third floor and it might all be all uh, sticker picture uh, areas where they have these photo booths that are mainly uh, teenage girls go into and uh, take their pictures and then get uh, little stickers of them. And also now it gets beamed to your phone, obviously, so you could share it with people. And then there's the rhythm game floor. And then there's, you know, the, the floor with uh, 20 pods for that mech battle game. It's so it's it's kind of depending on the floor, it could be everything to everybody. Hmm. Um. So. That is amazing, number one, and I'd love to see such an arcade in my lifetime. Um, Go to Japan. So, That's your only chance. I guess so. I want I want something like that here, though. How cool would that be? I don't know if that's ever going to happen at this point. Probably not. We're all we're like we're like very stuck in the eighties with our with our arcade concepts here. It's yeah. like all it's all nostalgia at this point. It's, it's kind of atrophied. I don't think I don't know how we can get it back. <laughs> um. So let's uh. Talk about what it is that we can expect from video games this fall. I guess we've already seen a good deal of it um, previewed alongside all of the consoles and uh, at um, E3 and stuff. Is there anything new that's come out in the last, uh, specifically at uh, TGS or other sources? No, there were surprisingly few new uh, games actually announced for uh, the new consoles at uh, TGS. The one that uh, was premiered for the first time was uh, Deep Down, which is kind of a uh, Dark Souls-style dungeon crawler for the PlayStation 4, uh, which means uh, incredibly hard, uh, incredibly focused on, on tactics and... Uh, um, what's the word? Uh, reflexes. And uh, very medieval, uh, magical kind of uh, feeling to it. Uh <laughs> So it it was one of the best looking console games uh, I've ever seen for sure. Uh, although I'm sure you know in in three years when we're seeing what the PlayStation Four can really do, I'm gonna I'm gonna look back at that deep down and say, oh, I can't I can't believe uh, I thought that looked good. But you know some of the lighting effects were. Uh, it's the kind of thing you could see you've seen on PCs on, on very high end PC games, but uh, seeing it on a console was was something new. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I got a demonstration of Dead Rising 3 for the Xbox One, which is probably the next generation launch title that I'm looking forward to most now, actually. Uh, it's just uh, the gameplay is very similar to the first two Dead Rising games. You're just causing a lot of havoc uh, with, uh, you know, hordes of zombies surrounding you. But uh, the power of the Xbox One, they, they've really upped uh, the zombie count uh, to, you know, really make you feel like uh, you're surrounded. Uh, they've gotten rid of loading screens altogether. It's uh, <laughs> streaming loading. So you're in one uh, continuous world. Uh, as you go to a new place, it loads it stream seamlessly in the background. Uh, you can combine your weapons together to create these these super weapons. They had one that was like they put every bomb in the game together. So you had a kerosene can and like a nail bomb and, uh, you know, a, a piece of ordnance and an RPG and everything. And it just created this huge explosion. Or you could create uh, uh, like a bat that had uh, a microphone on it or a megaphone on it. That So when you swung it, it had like these sound waves that like knock the zombies about uh so that seemed like a lot of fun even if it's not too innovative mm-hmm. awesome and uh yeah cool well um let's uh so has your i don't know if you were if you came down on a particular side in the xbox versus playstation uh debate thus far but uh do you have a do you have one b has it changed at all based on what you've seen most recently uh it's you know i go back and forth on it it's really hard without having the actual hardware in your hands uh, mm-hmm. which you know sounds like a, a wuss out answer like oh you should you should pick one sight unseen just based on, <laughs> on the announcements Rah. but um it's very nice i think that uh, the playstation 4 comes in at a lower cost without uh, a required camera, uh, no matter what Microsoft says. I do not think including the Kinect in the box is really worth whatever cost it is adding on there. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I like a lot of what Microsoft has been doing with uh, their interface and uh, with the platform and um, with uh, some of the games that are, that are coming out for only Xbox One. Dead Rising 3 looks very nice and uh, Titanfall which uh, I've gotten a chance to play a few times now. It's uh, uh, an exclusive to Xbox uh, and PCs. And, uh, you know, the, the wall running and the double jumping and the ability to, to fight in mechs and uh, as, as a human with a gun, it's, it's definitely bringing something new to what is a pretty tired uh, first-person shooter <laughs> genre. And that's, mm-hmm. that's only going to be on Xbox One. Uh, on PlayStation 4, there are fewer big-name exclusives that I'm excited about, but they've got a lot of tiny uh, indie games that uh, are going to be out at launch or soon after uh, at uh, I'm glad are getting uh, a lot more attention on consoles. So mm-hmm. really there's, there's pros and cons to both at this point. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to with, withhold my judgment until <laughs> I can actually judge of them. I'm sorry. That's fair. Okay. Well, we've reached the end of our episode here. Uh, if you, oh. yeah. But um, we got a wonderful reveal of the curtains in the virtual studio. <laughs> yes. I love it. Keep, we keep it up. We got to talk to Kyle. And if you guys want to talk to Kyle, you can follow him on Twitter. Uh, what's your uh, handle, Kyle, again? Uh, Kyle ORL. There you go. And that's always listed under the bio pages on ArsTechnica.com. And by the way, if you want to listen to this episode without having to commit to a subscription to anything, you can just hit play right on the page where we post the show notes. 
with the show on the day it comes out. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud. And then we send you big hugs every time you leave us a review or put in a star rating because we like that. And you can also just leave a comment on the show notes. And we, we appreciate that, too. And really, I know I know you don't want to get into a big commitment, but just just subscribe to the podcast. You know, it's not it's free. It's not that big a deal. If you decide later you want to unsubscribe, that's fine. But you know, if you subscribe, then you'll know when the next episode is coming. You won't have to search it out and click that play button. So you know, just do it. We're trying to help you. Just let 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 us help you. Help us help. You. <laughs> help us. Well, help and, you. and certainly, if you guys uh, out there, listeners, if you have. Uh, shows that you like or if you want us to cover a specific gaming box in the fall and talk more in detail about uh, any of those just uh, send us a message and uh, that will be of course after you subscribe and you're just in love with the show because it just arrives in your player every two weeks <laughs> so thank like yeah. magic so thanks so much be- for being here and um, we will see you soon bye 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 bye